So we go in his backyard. I flew him to the glove maybe once. And I was like, I'm doing this. Took one flight to the glove. And um, on my spring breaks and winter breaks and Thanksgiving breaks, I'd come home. I'd call up Joe, say, hey, Joe, can I come out in the field with you? I just kicked brush, beat it. I got thorns in my eyes and my legs, and I loved every minute of it. As do we all, and if you want to get into this sport and you don't love it, well, you might as well learn to love it because you're going to be doing a lot of it. And tell you what, there's still not much that makes you feel more alive than getting out with friends, beating the brush, kicking up game for your birds, and just having a great time while you're doing it. So thank you all again for joining us for another episode of the Falconry Told Podcast, brought to you in part, as always, by the fine folks at Marshall Radio Telemetry, the makers of the most carefully engineered and reliable tracking system available, and also by the Falconry Fund, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to support and protect the various arts and practices of falconry and the cultural and environmental assets that make it possible. The Falconry Fund is always seeking to become a vital and effective nonprofit charitable organization based in the United States to serve falconers on the North American continent and elsewhere so that this art and practice may be pursued without undue restriction and free from current or potential threats by incompatible human activity. For more information on the Falconry Fund, head to falconryfund.com, and if you want to support their mission, feel free to leave a donation. And this is the last of the few episodes that I got to record while I was up around the Cleveland area working on my last healthcare assignment. And when I was up there doing my episode with uh, Joe, I asked if uh, he knew anyone else that might be interested. And of course, that led to the Chris Klosterman episode that you also already heard. And um, also this one with uh, Stephanie. And he was telling me about how uh, she just recently pursued her master's in wildlife biology and conservation from Edinburgh Napier University in Scotland. And after hearing some of her stories and some of her experiences uh, from that, I thought it would be cool to do an episode with her as well. So we're just going to go ahead and jump right in and let you all hear some of her experiences as well. So, all right, let's get to it. Three, two, one, and here we go. So we spent most of the morning trapping and, um, you know, you're looking for a passage coop, correct? Yes. Yeah. And how long have, has the fascination with the passage coop been kind of on your mind? Honestly, it's it's one of those things. I have weird whims once in a while. And while I was away in Scotland, I was talking about how we have the ability to trap to some other falconers. Like, oh, that's so cool. We started talking about other birds. Like, wait, you've got Cooper's hawks over there. Like, yeah, yeah, we do. And that's when the wheels started turning. And um, I I know guys fly them, but I remember even when I started looking more into the sport, I'd see people say, yeah, I'm flying a Passage Coops. And my brain was like, wait, you can fly a Cooper's Hawk? <laughs> so the, the thing, it, it started a little earlier. But now, you know, I'm I'm going into my third or fourth year general. I've lost track already. And I want to... I want to try something new. I, I love my red tails. Don't get me wrong. I love flying a red tail. They're solid birds. I've flown Harris's and I've trained falcons, but 
I want to I want to branch out and I want to keep on learning. Um, and I think a passage coops is a, a good next step. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's something that um, either people love or hate. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's there's really no in between with I think honestly with exhibitors in general. You hear that a lot. You know, people either swear by them or they hate them. They're they take a very unique personality to really I think just have a um just overwhelming just I don't even know what the right word is um loyalty I don't know maybe that's the right word some falconers they just they have this loyalty and just this obsession with exhibitors that I don't know I don't know what it is but I'm not that personality (laughs) I I know that I I mean I, I would like to try a passage coupe again myself um but you know, over, overall, I've discussed this in other podcasts that I've done. That I just, I'm just not a big sipper guy. I'm just more of a, a falcon guy. But, uh, but I totally get, you know, the whole wanting to branch out thing. I mean, I'm still find myself there too, like we were talking about earlier. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, you get one. I mean, what do you, if you, if it works out for you, is it something that you think you might intermew or do you think you'll turn it loose and go back to a red tail or what do you think? If it, if it works for me, I wouldn't mind try intermewing it. I yeah. love seeing the change between a juvenile to, um, a, an intermewed adult. Mm-hmm. I, I think just watching them be a little bit more selective, a little bit more cautious, just learning their behaviors as well as an adult versus when they were a juvenile. I mean, with red tails, the juvenile just slams into everything. It's right. like, I can eat that. Cool. Slam. And when they become a little older, they're like, well, I can eat that, but there's an easier picking right over here. So I'm going to wait. And I I like that aspect. And I'm curious to see what the Coops has to bring to the table as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can't imagine it being a whole lot different. You know, I mean, just seeing how a bird matures from, like you said, just being really inexperienced to you know, all of a sudden, especially like that's a, a bird when it's a falconry bird, you know, like seeing how the difference is it has a whole summer to sit and think about, you know, everything that it did its first year and seeing how it grows on that in its second season is pretty cool, no matter what the species is, I think. Mm-hmm, but, I agree. But yeah, so, well, I mean, we kind of talked about, you know, you, you tried the Kestrel deal and you tried, you know, you've tried obviously some other species like we just talked about but overall um you know we still even haven't had the conversation between you and I anyway about what got you started into the sport so go ahead and and just kind of tell your backstory because we like to do that with every guest that we have well it's funny I knew this question was going to come yeah it comes every time people I'll, I'll be training my birds in a park or in a parking lot or I'll be teaching classes how in the world did you get into the sport and I don't have a good answer. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the weirdest thing. So I always like to joke when I was little, if I was going to grow up to do something, it was something I imagined doing. So I had imaginary horses. Everybody had imaginary friends and dolls. I would gallop my horses around the playground. I had an imaginary eagle. Now, I was a little too young <laughs> to know that eagles, you know, took prey and all that stuff. But I just, I pretended, I was like, I've got this eagle and it flies messages to my friends. I mean, that, that was where my brain went. I think I was maybe six. I didn't grow up in a hunting family, so it wasn't, right. wasn't the first thing on my mind. Um, 
a lot of guys will tell you, oh, yeah, I read My Side of the Mountain. And I never read that book. I know, don't, don't. <laughs> I didn't read it either. Okay, I still, I still to this day haven't read it. Um, I do remember my mom, probably when I was four, got the movie. So, you know, there's guys that joke about that terrible 70s, 60s movie. I remember the, oh, yeah, I was probably about four or five. Um, I remember the scene where the kid goes to the library and buys books and then he flies his bird and I remember the bird getting shot. That's all I remember, but I was still sold. Um, on top of that, my elementary school had a stuffed red-tailed hawk in the library. And I love the library. I mean, we're doing this podcast in the room that my house calls the library. It's books. It's a couch with my reindeer hide on it. I love it. Um, and when I get bored, I just I come in here and I look at books. And so we had a stuffed red tail in the library. We were the hawks. That was our mascot. And I've, I've always had this fascination with birds. So it was something I kind of, I feel almost predestined to have gotten into. Um, was, I think, about high school. I read Don Quixote. Again, most people read My Side of the Mountain. No, I read Don Quixote, everyone. Um, <laughs> there's one scene where this woman is riding a horse with a jeer falcon on her fist. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Uh, I've got an extremely vivid imagination, so I imagined this, you know, beautiful, you know, how everyone imagines falconry, the romantic side of it, a, a woman on a horse, the GR falcon. The, the regal, the quote-unquote regal aspect. The very regal aspect. Yeah. Um, and I just started kind of looking more into it. I expressed interest in it in high school. Eventually, in college was when I realized it was a sport I could get into. It wasn't just a dead art that only people in England practiced. Um, and I reached out and <laughs> I found an email list called Raptor Repertoire, which I was like, oh, I remember Raptor Repertoire. <laughs> they don't send emails out anymore. But I joined and um, everyone just said, hey, you know, go, go to Joe, go to Joe, go to Joe. I was like, Okay. Hi, Joe. <laughs> um, so the first day I met him was my spring break. Oh, God. I was probably 18, 18 or 19. Um, came home. He said, yeah, I live in Bexley and come on over. So I was like, you're, you're 20 minutes from my house. I didn't know you were that close. Next thing I know, he's, you know, I just wanted to know more about the sport. And he said, hey, Steph, do you want to fly peanut on the crayons? And Peanut was his Harris Hawk at the time. So we go in his backyard. I flew him to the glove maybe once. And I was like, I'm doing this. Took <laughs> one flight to the glove. And um, on my spring breaks and winter breaks and Thanksgiving breaks, I'd come home. I'd call up Joe, say, hey, Joe, can I come out in the field with you? I just kicked brush, beat it. I got thorns in my eyes and my <laughs> legs and I loved every minute of it and finally um there was a moment in college again where actually sophomore year everybody probably knows the sophomore year oh god I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life sophomore year <laughs> I hit that and uh I said Joe I just want to be a falconer he said no you are going to graduate and then we'll talk about you being a falconer and uh, I graduated and he took me on as an, his apprentice afterwards I reached out to him I said Joe, I really want to be a Faulkner. I have graduated. Uh, do you know anyone or would you be willing to sponsor me? And he took me on. He took me out in the field for a year and took me on. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, where were you going to school at that point? Um, I went to Mount Holyoke. 
It's in Massachusetts. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Some people are like, oh, Mount Holyoke. I like to yeah, call I've it the... That. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean anything. I... Yeah. It's, uh, I like to call it the Ivy League School for Girls or Women. Um, it was founded by Mary Lyon. So in 18, 1837... Uh, a lot of women were being sent to finishing schools just to be good wives and good caretakers. And then you had the Ivy Leagues that were all male. Um, and Mary Lyon founded the school saying, I need a school for women, an Ivy League pretty much quality school for women. And that's how it started. Um, and it's still all women there. Huh. So that's it's interesting. You don't see that very often anymore. No. <laughs> <these> my, <days. laughs> actually, it's funny because my brother went to an all-male school. He went to Wabash. Oh, okay. And my sister did two years at Sweetbriar, which is an all-women's college as well. Wow. It's a definite trend in the fam. (laughs) It was an accident. It was a pure, (laughs) honest accident. Um, My sister's school ended up getting closed, and then she transferred to Miami and Ohio, and then they reopened. So hers was a whole finagle-y kabobble of terribleness. Interesting. But my brother and I both graduated from single-sex schools. So. Huh. Okay. Well... So, in other words, that was quite the commute home on breaks just to have to go and kick brush for Joe. <laughs> it was totally worth it. I mean, if my parents... I hate Thanksgiving anyway. You're not I, supposed to say it was worth it doing anything for Joe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was worth it doing it for the birds. <laughs> there you go. Um, that's that's a much better spin. We'll go with that one. Yeah, it was it was a 12-hour drive. I hate Thanksgiving. My parents know I hate Thanksgiving. So when Joe's like, hey, I'm going to go out hunting on Thanksgiving, I'm like, yes. Cool. So Well, I mean, everybody's got their, their thing, you know. So it's, uh, I mean, so while we're on the subject of, of schools, when, when then in the timeline of you pursuing this graduating and then pursuing, you know, your apprenticeship with Joe, did you decide to go to higher education and do your master's? So this one took a little while. Um, I initially graduated. I got um, a full-time job at a law firm. It was bankruptcy. It was a desk job, nine to five. I hated every minute of it. (laughs) I listened to YouTube videos and podcasts and music and audiobooks. And what was really funny was I still got all the work done and I did it proficiently. And everyone's like, how are you doing all this? I'm like, it's easy. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But uh, initially, so I really took the job just to pay off loans. I was able to pay off my student loans in two years. Wow. Yeah. I'm proud of that. Then I decided to accrue more student loans by going to Did you eat during that two-year time span or what? (laughs) Believe it or not, I did. Wow. So my parents have been really good. They said, Steph, you... You don't have anywhere to go. It's hard being um, an, a young adult in this day and age. I mean, especially after 2008. We're not going to kick you out of the house. Yeah. You've got to pay loans. So you didn't have a lot of extra bills at the time? That you no. Could... Okay. Well, it that's, was, that, it was that nice. makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've been, my parents were, you know, very, very kind to me. Um, and then I got a job. So while I was working at the law firm, I did have my first bird soaring. Mm-hmm. It was one year at the law firm. I was just helping Joe at his school. Um, the second year was when I got Soren. Uh, Soren Fancy Pants Kierkegaard. <laughs> you have the most elaborate names for not only your falconry birds, but your bait birds. It cracks me up. 
I can list all my bait birds' names. I've got Mr. Humphreys, Captain Peacock, Mr. Moore, wow. Mr. Bates, Hyacinth. Wow. I didn't name the two, the other two. Um, yeah, never name your bait animals is what you're so I mean, you're not supposed to name them. I had, when I trapped Cora, I had mice, and they ended up reproducing. Mm-hmm. I named them after the characters um, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Wow. So I had Zaphod Beeblebrox and <laughs> Trisha McMillan <laughs> and Marvin the Paranoid Android. Wow. Yep. That's all I'm going to say is wow. <laughs> I yeah. like to name things. <laughs> hey, you know, that's there's nothing wrong with it. It's just something you don't see very often, you know. Yeah. It just cracks me up some. But, but yeah, so you had your, your, your first bird then whenever you were doing – the law firm job and so once again at what point then when you were doing that you decided you hated it and you decided that um, that you were going to do what you were doing now for your master's which is um so i i did wildlife biology and conservation for my master's okay um so (laughs) i still didn't know i was thinking oh i'll want i want to go into healthcare next and I mean, we've talked, uh, yeah. you, you work healthcare yeah. as well in a way. Yeah. Um, so I got a job as a psychiatric care tech at the hospital, which was so much better for falconry hours. Yeah. But for the mental health, for the um, mental health, no, especially working on a psychiatric ward. Yeah. That was not pleasant. So, yeah. um, I did that and I was working that, but I knew that I wanted to do something with birds. Mm-hmm. So my objective was I applied to wildlife biology conservation um, programs in the States. I applied to the, the Raptor program at Boise and I applied to wildlife biology and conservation in um, Edinburgh. And it was just one of those things um, where there's huge competition with masters and I'm, I'm not going to lie. My undergrad grades, they weren't fantastic. All right. <laughs> I graduated um, and I really, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps Look, junior and senior year. I did really well. But my freshman and sophomore year, I had a lot of um, other things going on mentally. And so that just knocked me down a notch. So I didn't get really, I didn't get accepted into any of the, the U.S. schools I had applied to, but I did get accepted into Scotland. They're like, we want you. So I decided to quit my job <laughs> at the, the mental health as uh, the psych ward and um, pretty much just go to school. And so I worked for Joe. Uh, he kind of helped me with that gap. And then I went to Scotland last year. Cool. I, that's definitely a jump. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to look at these U.S. schools and then I'm going to look at this school in Scotland. <laughs> like... <laughs> did was is that something that's that's fairly well known and was so or in other words did you stumble onto that or was it something that you already kind of knew about as far as that school over there I actually stumbled upon it really I was just doing re- so finding any sort of program to do to focus on birds especially is hard especially mm-hmm. I wanted to focus on raptors mm-hmm. I'm a falconer yeah. I I love the big birds I love the small little kestrels I love the little falconets mm-hmm. um I like eagles. I like, I mean, I like them all. They're so cool. If you just want to talk about their anatomy with me, I, I can go all day. I've sure. learned about their brains. They're cool birds. So 
to find a program that I was interested in, I wanted to, to work, uh, focus on, I wanted to be able to tailor my master's into Raptors. Mm-hmm. And what I could do with the Scotland um, master's was tailor my research project towards Raptors. So that's what I did. Um, I actually ended up doing my master's thesis on um, an alternative method of sexing birds for conservation and scientific purposes. So a lot of falconers use mass. I mean, we go out trapping. It's like, oh, it's been this range. But let's all we all agree there's tweeners. Sure. Always. Yeah, it's very it's very hard sometimes distinguishing between, you know, especially if a if a if a male has really nice sized feet. It's sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference between a small female and a large male. Yeah, it really is. And I've met people when I went to NAFA, my one NAFA moment. I want to go to NAFA again. I'm a, I'm a terrible Faulkner. I've only been to NAFA once. Um, I've only been once too. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I met I met one woman who had a a female a female red tail, and her female flew at nine seventy. Um, and my female Cora flew at ten thirty. And then there's guys who are like, if it's below thirteen hundred grams, it's not a female. Right. Wait, what? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. I I. Because DNA sexing can get expensive, especially if you're sexing like hundreds and hundreds of birds and you have that tween moment, the tweener moment, uh, I wanted to see if there was a way to sex them. So I actually did reach out to Frank Taylor, who bans, mm-hmm. and I he actually said he only uses wing cord length. So I did a mix of in, – in previous studies, most people only use on uh, – focus on DNA – for some reason, they're like, oh, yeah, we were totally able to do DNA. I'm like, if you're doing a conservation project, you're not going to be able to do DNA on 200, 300 birds. Yeah, that's – how much would that be out of curiosity? If you have a good connection with a, a sexer, then maybe $10 a sample. Wow. Um, if you're buying your own kit and then getting all the equipment, it's probably about the same. Uh, I – if you can swing it by your your grants committee, then by all means, pluck some feathers. Right. But I also wanted to – what I ran into was I had to sex some birds as well just to figure out if they were male or female because I was measuring some morphological characteristics. And I found that just feather samples sometimes don't go through. So if you're doing like a trap release method in conservation and you pluck some breast feathers and you've got them all labeled – and then they're a poor sample. You can't go and recapture that bird, and so that's lost data. Yeah, that's not that's not good. Um, so I, you know, after talking to Frank, um, and he's like, "Yeah, we have something really old and like from the 1970s, 1960s, and it's a wing cord chart." And I was like, "Where in the world is this wing cord chart?" <laughs> so I couldn't find this thing, and I'm gonna have to talk to Frank again and just see where it is because I'm just now morbidly curious. I've already submitted my paper, but. I am still morbidly curious. I want to know where this chart is. Mm-hmm. Um, because banding is something that also I wouldn't mind trying my hand at. I, I'm a jack of all trades. I like to try anything. Um, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. So what I found was the tarsa metatarsus depth, which banders use. They measure wing cord length and mass and doing a combination of those. Okay. Um, now, I, th- I think further research could go into that, applying those three morphological characteristics I like to stray away from mass as much as I can, so it would be nice to find something more skeletal. 
but I mean, right now I am unemployed and not in school anymore. So no, wait, that's a lie. I am employed. I'm just like yeah. Stephanie employed. Right. <laughs> and working, working for Joe employed. Working for Joe employed pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's interesting though, because you're right. I mean, we look at size just in general so much and because obviously every, every time you, you trap a bird, you're not going to go and get and and do a DNA. You're, you're just, you're not going to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. so, you know, some, some people have these hard and fast biases towards, you know, we were discussing this earlier, you know, some, some guys think that, uh, you know, a male red tail is just absolutely worthless. I mean, there's, there's some people that think that, I mean, I, there, there just, there is, but, you know, I love flying a male red, red tail. You know, I mean, I, I think that there's so much more fun to fly than female. It's all, it's all a personal thing. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, you, you're not going to pluck a breast feather every time you trap a red tail and, you know, take it in and just, just to make sure. Unless you just are, you know, have, have a decent amount of money and you're just really anal about, you know, yeah. I have to fly a female. I guess you could. But, but um. I mean, is there anything else that you noticed or learned during all of that? I mean, you took a lot of data, didn't you? I took quite a bit of data. Um, I did notice that mass overlap is huge. That's that's one. And I, I mean, I knew that existed. But there were instances where uh, the, there was an overlap of about 100 grams between male and female Cooper's hawks. Mm-hmm. And 400, yeah, Yeah. 400 between male and female red tails. And I was thinking this research could also help falconers who do have that bias. So instead of, I mean, because we were also talking about the nuances of each state and their regulations. Mm -hmm. In Ohio, we have to band our birds. We have to enter a pool. Um, I mean, we all have to fill out the 3186. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but some people have that bias. So maybe if they wanted to take a wing cord real quick while they're getting it off the trap, that bird's being handled. And then if they realize, oh, wait, this is a male, just let it loose instead of socking it up and putting it in the car and keep on driving, you know, that sort of instance. Right. Um, so a lot of the data I did end up taking because of COVID was on uh, museum skins. I was able to use some falconers' birds, so Joe provided me with some birds. Um, there were some woman falconers uh, on Facebook who said, oh, yeah, I've got some birds. Here's some data. And I think maybe if I were to do this again, I'd probably try to record Harris hawks as well just mm. because there's so many of them. Yeah. Um, but I stuck primarily with red tails, red shoulders, and Cooper's hawks. And then I also was able to get um, quite a bit of data from some rehab centers. So that was, I'm very thankful for the rehab centers for working with me. I do enjoy our relationship with our rehab centers in Ohio. Um, Cause I know again, some States and some Faulkners don't have that same relationship. Yeah. I can, I can see where that would have been really helpful, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. It would have saved you a lot. Well, I mean, well, we drove around what for what, three hours earlier and saw what two red tails and two coops or something. I mean, <laughs> we, I mean, I could, could you imagine if you were doing this? And had to actually trap, you know, rely on just only on trapping your own birds. I mean, to, to do to do a project like that. Yeah, I've already imagined. And with <laughs> within the time limit, if it were like a year long project, I'd totally be fine with that. I'd enter in Malbec permits. I'd work 
But I had three months. Right. And it was during the summer months. So that's when the birds are being born. It was, it was, I'm not going to lie. It was rough research to do. So I clearly put that in my further recommendations section saying, (laughs) don't do this in the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, And don't do this during COVID. Right. Yeah. But yeah. 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 Don't, don't do this during a pandemic, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Just get your crystal ball out and predict the next pandemic and just don't, don't do it during that. (laughs) And I mean, with all the permits, even falconers need, it was interesting to see the permits you needed just for specimen collection, um, for pulling breast feathers and stuff. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was that process like? I mean, just what, how many more extra forms and stuff were there involved with that? Honestly, it was just like submitting more falconry forms. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, in the middle of all this, you know, you've, you've been like, like we just said a bit ago, I mean, you've been working for Joe. I mean, how long have you been teaching classes for him now? Three years? Three years? I don't know. Um, Ish. Ish. <laughs> I think sometimes I count last year, even though I was away in Scotland, because when I did come home for three weeks, I, I taught a few classes. So I'm like, that totally counts. Some week, sometimes just doing every weekend, I've, I've lost track. Um, I think it's been about two or three years. I okay. started with Joe. So I remember when I first met Joe, he had mentioned about opening a falconry school. Mm-hmm. And go back and listen to that podcast if you're curious. Um but I remember sitting in the car and we were buying marbles for squirrel hawking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and losing our marbles like we all are wont to do. Yeah. Um, and he was like, I don't tell anyone this, but I am in the process of starting a falconry school. I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. So I think when I graduated was really the first year he started. Um, 2015, 2014, 2015. Okay. And... I was just a mere pre-apprentice. I didn't even have my license. So he said, Steph, come on over. You can help me with the birds and teach the school, and you can get some handling experience. So I wasn't allowed to teach classes then, but I did help with the handling. I enjoyed walking around. To me, it wasn't hunting, so that wasn't the fun part of it. But I still thought it was cool giving other people that fun, romantic experience. Yeah, I mean, anytime... uh you're not able to actually have your own bird yet. I mean, it doesn't hurt anybody to get that extra hands on with, you know, handling birds and just getting used to, um, you know, what it's like to, you know, to deal with them on a normal basis. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, any, any experience whenever you're in that stage helps. It was, so it was very, very helpful. Um, I loved playing with the birds. I, Joe's like, Hey, pull out Kylo. I was like, hi, Kylo. Um, (laughs) Even chase, chase the, chase the red tail. Man, I've been footed by that bird so many times. <laughs> he throws his feet like nobody's business. You think you've got a tight hold, and man, he'll get you. He's got me on the top of my arm. It's amazing how fast they are. Oh my god! And chase is <laughs> chase is a monster. I've I've had some birds like you can normally read it. Chase, I don't know what it is about that bird. He can foot you like nobody's business. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> I'd I'd pull out chase and I'd I'd play with them and then. Of course, that year we would also hunt. So Joe pulled a passage, um, female red tail, and he just let me come and watch him do the handling process and all that stuff. And then I'd go out and do the hunts with him. Um, I wasn't, again, I wasn't touching the bird or anything, but finally he said, okay, you've spent a year on the field. You've seen the bird kill things. You're ready. 
out. And <laughs> I took my test. I studied for my test at the law firm, too. I put, like, all my questions on my phone. And when I got bored, I'd just scroll through. And it's like, what's the difference between a sharpshin and a Cooper's hawk? It's like, square tail. Boom. And... <laughs> Yeah, did you use the uh, the California Hawking Club guide at all? or I did the California Hawking Club guide. I did the New York study guide. And I think I did the Pennsylvania study guide. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've never even looked at the New York or Pennsylvania study guide. I'm, I mainly just use the California Hawking Club guide. I was, I was really surprised. Like, I knew it would be probably similar, but I was surprised to see, like, almost word for word how, how many, you know, some of those – how many of those actual questions like kind of transferred over? Oh, there were, there were word for word. Yeah, it was a lot. Of, so if anyone's listening to this and you're studying or want to study, I mean, it, that's a good guide. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool um, that some of those guides and some of those books are semi, at least readily available now. You know, you can pretty much order most of that stuff off of like Western Sporting and, and some of those, you know, sites still. I know I got mine from Western Sporting whenever I was doing my studying and stuff, but I don't know where you got yours from. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, um, you know, I mean, what aspect of teaching, I mean, in the last, you know, few years that you've been doing it, I mean, what do you, what aspect of it do you enjoy the most? I mean, you mentioned that you like, you know, introducing other people to it and, you know, all that stuff, but. I, I think the aspect I like is people want to learn. So there, there's clearly some, pe- some people, and I haven't thankfully run into many, who just don't want to hear the truth of falconry. They're like, wait, you're trapping a bird? You're terrible. I'm like, wait a minute. I can pull out these scientific articles that say this is why we trap them. Um, And normally when I run through my facts, like 70 to 90% of juvenile birds die in their first six months, people start to become a little bit more understanding. Well, and and so not to cut you off on that, we'll get back to that in a minute. But so I've run into that a couple of times too. You know, some of my friends or some people I work with or whatever, they find out that, you know, wait a second, you can take these birds from the nest. I mean, doesn't that, you know, make the mom sad or whatever, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, first off, they don't feel sad like that's not how it works but but number two I mean it, it, it's 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 not like um you like your thing I mean worst case I mean I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like you you have dogs and you have cats right and they're like well yeah I'm like did it not make the mom dog sad whenever you went and pulled the puppy from the litter and took it away and and they're like Oh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, they don't, they don't think of it like that. Yeah. Though. No, mom you dog know. is happy. Yeah. I mean, it's, but you know, I'm just like, well, I mean, at least if you take a bird from the nest, it was probably like you said, I mean, it was more than likely going to die in its first year anyway. And if you take a bird from the nest, that means it's one less bird that it's got the parents have to provide food for the other, the other, um, you know, birds in the nest are more than likely have a better chance of living now because they've got one less mouth to feed. And, you know, I mean, they're like, Oh, okay. I mean, some people are receptive and some people aren't. Yeah. But, you know, so I get it, but, but yeah, I mean, what else do you run into in in that regard? Um, usually I run into weight management. Really? A lot of weight management. So you try to mention that I always, every time I teach a class, I say, I'm going to tell you all a secret. 
it's not really a secret. Ninety-five percent of the artifact. Actually, I think it's not. I always choose between ninety-five and ninety-eight percent of the artifactry is weight management. And then I say, that does not mean I'm starving my bird. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I tell them my bird eats better than me, which is actually probably a very true statement. Um, and some because pe- some people are like, wait, you starve your bird, so it's hungry to go. Out- well, the bird is going to sit in a tree and wait for it to be hungry again before it starts chasing things. Mm-hmm. So I'm just managing that moment when it's ready to chase things. And yeah. then I, I tell them all a story about my bird pretty much giving me the bird and all this jazz. So that's always fun. Um, I know Joe's run into – maybe Joe's just bad at telling stories like <laughs> I am. <laughs> I know Joe's run into the problems with uh, people going, you starve your bird. He's like, no, no. I don't starve my bird. It's like my son, you know, if he wants food and he's hungry, he'll go to the fridge and get it. Right. Um, some people are, again, aren't receptive to it, but it's, it's like re- birds of prey. They, they need a reward. You're, you can train a parrot and a crow with their favorite food, but a bird of prey just wants meat and it's not going to eat if it's not hungry. Right. So, and it's not going to chase anything if it's not hungry. So I do run into that one. Um, not as much, but I do run into that. Uh, the other one I love, I always play this out, is when I pull out Henson, the Eurasian eagle owl. And everybody goes, <laughs> it's a great horned owl. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. Um, that one's always fun, too, because I always ask them, like, what type of owl is this? And I wait for them to tell me great horned owl. But I've got in barn owl before. I've got in... Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, doesn't even look remotely like a barn owl. I've got barred owl, um, barn, bard, and great horn are the three I get for Henson. <laughs> well, I mean, but the the point of discussing this is just bringing to people's attention, like, how many misconceptions there are There's about, so about many. the sport and just how, you know, people, you know, the, the general public as a whole really are just, they they have no idea the different species and how to identify, you know, I mean, heck, even just, you know, seeing people misidentify, you know, red tails or Cooper's hawks or whatever the case may be. I mean, just on a normal basis, you know, things that we kind of take for granted, but, you know, I think back and I remember that, you know, heck, I mean, before I got into the sport, I didn't really know the difference between these birds either, but it's important though. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very important. And uh, that reminded me of another one I get too. <laughs> um, oh, did I forget it? Oh, I forgot the one I f- remembered. <laughs> it's all right. You might remember it again. I might remember it again. Oh, it's the hunting aspect. Okay. People don't realize it's a hunting sport. Mm-hmm. So normally, I'll get um, people. I'll ask people, "What what is falconry?" Well, you're training birds. You're going to ren fairs. You're <laughs> yeah. Um, you're doing whatever they do at medieval times, flying a bird around. And I'm like, and then sometimes, and I've been getting it more often than not is, oh, it's hunting. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, it is. It's a hunting sport. And then the next misconception is our birds kill it and bring it back to us. Yeah. And I'm sure you get that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think anybody that, anybody that that's done any kind of, um, you know, program or talk, especially like, you know, to a scout group or whatever the case may be, always gets that question at some point in time. You know, I mean, Every well, does time. It, does, how does it know to bring it back to you or why, or how do you get it to come back to you? Yes. So that that's, one. That, that's the other classic one too. I'm like, well, yeah, food, food, yeah, food, I <laughs> food, mean, weight but, management. Uh, 
It's like, well, I mean, what what keeps it from just flying off? Well, nothing. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. like absolutely nothing. Sometimes it happens. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is if it didn't want to be with us, then it wouldn't be with us. It would just fly off, you know, and... And so, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I can only imagine that you have gotten just a whole myriad slew of just, you know, random stuff dealing with it. But I mean, would you say though, that, that seeing like kind of the light bulb go off in people is a big reason why you continue to do it? Or, oh, I mean, it's so fun. I, I love it when people come in, they don't know a thing. They didn't even expect to be flying birds. And not only has the light bulb come on, but they're learning even more things. So when I talk about the owl and I talk, and even some people want to touch the birds and I get that. We want to pet our dogs. We want to pet our cats. We want to hug our little brothers. Um, where we love petting things, pet our horses. People are like, can I pet the owl? I'm like, no. And then I explain why. Think about it this way. One, most birds, except for some, most owls, waterproof their feathers. So your oils are removing that natural waterproofing. Two, our hands look like ginormous talons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then when you tell them that, these big talons coming towards their, the bird's face, it makes the bird uncomfortable. They're like, oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. But uh, I think my favorite part of teaching classes is when we actually get the birds free flying. I love introducing them to the other birds. But when we actually go on that walk and the, bir the birds follow, they're completely free flying. And people get to see, yes, the bird actually does follow and the bird does come back because it can even though it has every option to say adios sure people love that and that's my favorite part too is just putting everything together you've learned about the sport the history of the sport you've learned about the equipment now let's go out let's walk into the field let's have these birds fly notice they're flying for food and i'll even teach them about harris hawks how smart they are so i joke i'm like these birds have trained me which is probably true the birds have trained me <laughs> and so Sedosa or Rocky, I normally fly them together, will be sitting on top of a roof or a tree and we'll be trying to calm down. I'm like, this is what they're waiting for. And I'll pull out a chick head out of my bag and I'll put it on the glove and the birds come down. They're like, how'd you know that? I'm like, because the birds trained me. <laughs> and it's just, it's so fun to see them enjoy themselves and go on a walk and see how smart the birds are and really develop a new appreciation for these creatures. Cool. Well, what's, I mean, I, I, I want to touch on your experience in, in Scotland before we finish up, but just real quick, I mean, what has been your favorite, um, I don't know, one of your favorite experiences so far? Is there a particular story that you can share with your teaching um, aspect plus, and then also, you know, your your most memorable hunting story too? And I always like to kind of go over that too, but with people and normally they're just like, uh, you know, and as soon as we get off, <laughs> I, I know like, uh, you know, if Jeff Fincher's lift, listen to this, he'll, he'll probably crack up because, you know, we, we've done this before too, where it's just like, man, you know, as soon as you hit record, like all the stories just went away. <laughs> but, but as soon as you know, you hit, you hit stop, like all of them came back and like instantly tell you like three or four stories that I just couldn't remember when we were recording. But do you have any that pop into your mind as far as just the more memorable? I've probably got about three. Okay. Um, so, oh God, now they're all coming back to me. I remember <laughs> Soren's first squirrel and his first rabbit. Um, well, I did mention in the car, so Soren and his first, my first hunting kill was a baby squirrel. 
Mm-hmm. And I literally called Joe because in the falconry community, you got to take head of game before you're an official falconer. So I called Joe. I said, Joe, he caught a baby squirrel. Does it count? And Joe was like, did he get it out of a tree? I said, yes, he did. He pulled it right out of the little nest. It's like, yeah, it counts. His second, his second kill was a real adult squirrel that time. But um, yeah, that baby squirrel was my first kill. And I was very proud of that. Soren ate the whole thing. So that was that was one memorable. Um, a lot of my experiences, though, have been with Cora. She was my second bird, and she was a solid. When I first trapped her, I thought she had Asper. Okay. Um, turns out she was anemic, mm. which was very unusual. Um, so they treated her for worms. They injected her with B and iron, and she had. I mean, she had so she was one of those birds that would have died in her first year like hands down. Mm. Um, so she was naturally anemic. I actually had to supplement her diet with calf liver. That's how bad her anemia was. Wow. Um, and actually that's initially how she ended up passing. Mm. But Cora was a solid, solid bird. I mean, I think the second day I free flew her, we caught something. Wow. Um, and so I remember the one time our first fox squirrel, so Cora was a little female. She was, I flew her her first year at about 10.30, 10.15, And most people are like, wait, are you even sure she was a female? I'm like the way she hunted, I didn't get her sexed, but the way she hunted spoke female to me because I flew Soren, he hunted like a male. Um, so her first fox squirrel, we took everybody out on a public hunt with the, the falconry school and we were at the farm where we actually sell the Cooper socks today. Okay. There's gray squirrels and there's rabbits over there. I have never in my life seen a fox squirrel over there. Never. Until that day. The one time. <laughs> it was the one time. And so Cora, it, my tiny little female Cora, is flying around and she was so unsure about this fox squirrel. I think the last time she had tried to catch a fox squirrel, she flew kind of through a, a wire fence. She sheared off the side of her he- uh, the feathers on her head. Um, she was completely finer than that, but uh-huh. I like to say she had a punk cut. Got lucky. She got really lucky. Um, so she was also a little standoffish with fox squirrels. So, you know, we had a gray squirrel in one tree, and we had, like, two fox squirrels. Mm. And it was amazing. I was like, oh, my goodness, there's fox squirrels. I'm beating the trees, and people are watching, like, what is wrong with this chick? <laughs> and uh, finally, Cora committed. So she lost the gray squirrel, and she finally chased down that fox squirrel. I was so happy i swore like a freaking sailor i mean i swore so badly i could have made a sailor blush just out of excitement pure excitement i weighed that fox squirrel it was 792 grams wow so it was like it wasn't a huge fox squirrel but based on the size of my bird is a pretty decent fox squirrel it's actually still in my freezer wow um so that's that was probably And then um, Christmas, I went out hunting with another falconer from Texas. Uh, he came out with his Harris hawk, and we put Cora up in a tree. And I think it was – no, it wasn't her first double. It was one of her better doubles, though. Uh, she had a squirrel right in the tree, just was hanging on. I just, I just remember that hunt. We almost got um, a triple that day. And, again, she was a smaller female, so I – personally if she were like a solid female catching three squirrels within half an hour i have no qualms about flying her on triples um but because she was smaller 
like the first squirrel she got in like 20 minutes and the second squirrel maybe an hour later. But it was still a really good hunt. Oh, now I'm thinking of all the stories about Cora. <laughs> there was one other time. It was, I w- took her to a rabbit field and Cora was the type of bird who could find a squirrel anywhere. And she found a squirrel in a stupid rabbit field. And so she caught the squirrel. And I was really happy. And I said, Cora, let's go for a double. So I throw up into a tree. And we're walking down the field and we're chasing some squirrels and I think a few rabbits. And she catches a squirrel. Now, she caught it in this huge dead tree. Like the bark is sloughing off. And Mm -hmm. so she had the squirrel in her feet kind of in the bark. So I had to go and, I mean, she's hanging all weird. And I grabbed the squirrel and I grabbed my bird so I could dispatch the squirrel on the ground. Cora wasn't having any of it. So she ended up, as I'm trying to get a good hold on the the squirrel's neck, she ends up taking the squirrel right out of my hand and throwing it behind her. The squirrel was still alive. The squirrel stared at us and then bolted. I looked at my bird and she looked at me. And I think the thoughts went, she was like, you stupid human. I looked at my bird. I went, you stupid bird. Um, So I do remember that. I mean, she forgave me. I forgave her. That was a misunderstanding, if you will, between two hunters who got overexcited. But I definitely remember the look she gave me. It was still your fault. It's totally my fault. <laughs> I was just trying to kill the squirrel. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, good intentions and all. Yeah, well, there's there's been some moments, too, where I've seen uh, some guys do that. So I've, I've seen um, a one, well, one falconer in particular that I hunt with on a regular basis, who I won't mention his name, um, he uh <laughs> thought that um he thought that his goshawk was still bound to a duck and he uh got the duck out of like this small um well it was a small ditch and uh tried getting it out of the water you know it's right it caught caught the duck right on the edge and got the duck and tossed it kind of off into the grass oh no but he had no idea his bird was still had had let go of the duck <laughs> tossed it over i watched him do it and i i fell to the ground and it was rolling i had tears coming out of my eyes i was laughing so hard and just look on his face when he realized that that his bird didn't have a hole of the duck anymore it was just priceless anyway yeah we all have those like we all have those stories. stories but so let's finish up um these last few minutes then share some of um you know the 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 experiences that you had in scotland and just kind of go into some of what your personal observations were on you know the the biggest differences and you know just how some of the falconers there were and um you know i mean how you developed a rapport with them and you know i mean did you get to know any of them that well or i did get to know um a few so i actually reached out to lauren mcgow who had studied in scotland and i said hey i'm going to scotland and i need help finding falconers the, the one thing that I ran into problems was I didn't have a car over there. She's like, well, do you have a car? No, I've got trains and a bike. <laughs> um, but that wasn't, that wasn't any problem. So I didn't get to go out with her group of all the eagles out in the highlands and um, the St. Andrews area. But I was able to go out with some falconers. So I met one woman who had a Harris hawk. Uh, his name was Hamish. Uh, such a Scottish name. <laughs> and uh, 
I, I rode my bike 10 miles to meet her. And she was super, super friendly. And so she allowed me to join a group on Facebook um, for the Crawford area. Uh, God, I forget what the group was called. But it was just a bunch of Faulkners kind of more in that central Glasgow, Edinburgh area. Okay. And so I got invited to go on a hunt with them. And then another Faulkner I met, I met through the, uh, I think it was Facebook as well. I pretty much sent them all a message. I said, hey, I'm in Scotland. Um, I also contacted Andrew Knoll uh, uh, because Lauren McGowell recommended that. And so he hooked me up with some Faulkners as well. Um, so I, you know, I put on Facebook. I'm like, I'm I'm in Scotland and I'm a Faulkner and I want I want to go see some hunts and all this. So I had one guy. Uh, <laughs> he reached out to me and he's like, I didn't want you getting picked up by any weirdos out there. I was like, <laughs> you're the weirdo. Honestly, if he's listening to this, he'll probably laugh. Um, but he actually ran his own pest control business, and so he he breeds falcons and. He flies them, and then he also does kind of bird abatement, and then you know rats, mice, and all that squirrels, all that other pest control. Uh, in Scotland, they don't really have anything that'll kill you, which was different. So it wasn't like, oh, there's a bear out there, or a bobcat, or a coyote. <laughs> yeah. It was, God, what's the thing that's going to kill you out there? Maybe the adder if you can find it, and the drivers. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I reached out to them and so I, I got contacted and he said, yeah, come on out. I'm going to fly the Falcon. So I met him and another woman who had flown a red tail for years and she just got um, a Falcon from him. He gifted her a little tear soul um, after she lost her bird. And so I went out with them. Um, we went grouse hunt, yeah, grouse hunting and partridge hunting uh, didn't get anything because both the birds are juveniles. But now, as I'm not in Scotland and it's grouse season, he's sending me pictures going, yeah, look, we caught some grouse. Yeah. like, Of course, that's how it would work. Of course. <laughs> um, but then, of course, I got invited to go uh, with the, the other woman to the falconry meet in Crawford in, I think it was November. It was cold. I do remember that. But um, Shocker. <laughs> I was... Uh, the, the, the other, I'm mixing up all my falconers. I'm trying not to use names. Jesus, <laughs> it's hard. Falconer A let me borrow his Harris Hawk because um, I didn't have a bird. And I was like, oh, I would love to fly a bird. So he's like, ah, I've got a Harris Hawk. She takes down crows all the time. And her name was Harriet. I was like, cool. I was like, what's she fly at? He's like, she's a Harris Hawk. I don't know what she flies at. <laughs> um, so I went, okay, I'm going to go use every apprentice skill that I've acquired and I felt her keel, and I looked at her behavior, and we caught two rabbits. Actually, it would have been three, but the little kid beat me running down the hill, so he touched the rabbit first. Uh, yeah. yeah. Stupid little kids on their <laughs> shorter legs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was funny. I went to this meet, and I'm flying a Harris Hawk. Now, what was really hilarious to me, and I even mentioned it to all the falconers there, was like there were only Harris Hawks out there. There was one Harris Redtail hybrid, and I was like, I'm in Scotland. You guys should be flying peregrines and goshawks. I mean, I see my, more diversity at Anaphameet. And they're like, Harris hawks are really good for this environment. And I can understand after hunting there. I mean, you, you're allowed to use ferrets, which I think we should be allowed to do. I love ferrets. 
So I even ended up getting my own ferret while I was over there. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she was awesome. Um, so you put down ferrets in the rabbit hole. They chase out the rabbits. And then you're just standing around waiting for the rabbits to run out, and your hawks go chase them. It's interesting. I, You know, it's something that, like you said, they don't let us do here, so I've never gotten to see it or whatever. But it looks like it'd be pretty cool. It is. It's fun. I, I really enjoyed So you would put the ferrets down. They'd chase out the rabbits. The birds would go after them. The nice thing about the Harris hawks is everybody just lets their bird go. And the birds, you know, do the Harris hawk thing, just take one slip after the other. And whoever's bird gets it, you you run and you go grab the game. Um, granted, that's also the hard thing about Harris hawks because whose bird is who at that point? Yeah. I'm a terrible person. So people are like, I'm like, come on, you guys put on different color dresses on your Harris hawks. You get confused too. Yeah, but um, no, so that was that was. Qu- quite fun unfortunately i wasn't able to do it in february or i i had school work to do stupid school got in the way <laughs> the whole reason why you were there in the, the whole reason <laughs> i was there was school and then covid got in the way um uh. but i was so i helped um the pest controller out with some pest control i flew some birds as well for him and then um i also got to uh, do some ferreting work um because, see, uh, some rabbits were messing up the structure of an old building. So I got to do that as well. Um, so it was just, it was a f- neat experience all around. Uh, the, the way folk, I also volunteered at the Scottish Owl Center. So that was, um, that was really interesting because they have so many types of owls there. Really? And the, the, care, uh, the, the keeper there is so knowledgeable about owls. So he could talk your ear off about owls. And it was really fun just talking with him. Pretty much all the Falconers I talk to love the way Falconry is done in the States. They love how it's regulated. Um, the Owl Center was like, yeah, people shouldn't be allowed to buy owls. This is ridiculous. Because the amount of owls they actually got from people who just didn't know what they were doing. Right, what they're getting into. What they're getting into. And then on top of that, um, the old owl fanciers are dying out is what I learned. So people who actually did know what they were doing and wanted to collect like the small little rare ones Mm -hmm. aren't doing that anymore. Everyone wants a barn owl or Eurasian Eagle owl. And so it's really hard to get your hands on the, the ones that are most likely going to die out. Um, so working, working or volunteering at the owl center was really fun. That was also a 42 mile bike ride round trip on a mountain bike. Uh, yeah, you're, nuts (laughs) i did it in the rain Uh, i am slightly insane yeah i would say you're more than slightly insane but anyway well it was either a two-hour bus ride or a two-hour bike ride i'm choosing the bike ride. bus all the way man bus (laughs) all the way i'm not sitting on a bus for two hours (laughs) okay yeah because i mean you know pedaling a bike in the rain for that, <laughs> it sounds so much more appealing for that distance there your your logic and rationale there is totally i'm i'm sorry i stand corrected i guess I, whatever <laughs> oh wow well i mean was there anything else that you um that you found as far as the schooling or anything that, that was really interesting too that you when you're over there or what was your favorite aspect just about the you know just about how things were over there in general with the culture and, and stuff the culture was nice the everybody there was so friendly. I can't I did learn to appreciate the states a bit more. That's I mean, something people are like, Oh, I love Scotland and I want to live there forever. I'm like, I missed having things wanting to kill me. I'm not gonna lie. I miss the wildness <laughs> of the states. <laughs> I missed seeing coyotes and bears and big deer. Okay, they have um 
red deer over there. But I got to see seals. I got to hear cuckoo, um, yeah, cuckoo birds. Um, I got to, I mean, I got to volunteer at the Owl Center. I got to ferret, which we're not allowed to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to go to a meet. I like to consider myself an international falconer now because I've caught game <laughs> on a different continent. Um, granted, I know some other people are like, yeah, I've totally caught game on a, in a different country. I'm like, yeah, but I'm American. How many Americans actually go overseas? <laughs> um, You're just going to take that stance because you did it, right? I <laughs> am. It's going to stick with it. I understand. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's cool, though. I mean, it's um, you know, it sounds like you made the most of it. I, I've really tried. I mean, for not having a car, I, I'm so grateful for the friends I made, the Faulkners I made. I want to visit again. I want to see how these birds have come along, these these juveniles last year, now now adults, now knowing what they're doing. Because um, <laughs> I've, I've seen them, you know, make passes. I've seen drone training. Because when I went over there, I had no experience with long wings. Mm-hmm. Like, I... Honestly, I didn't know how people flew them. I knew how people flew kestrels, but kestrels are, they're small. They're a little different. Sure. Um, but when you're flying like a peregrine, you don't do that in Ohio. You, you got to go out west to do that. I mean, there's so many trees here that. Yeah, it can be, I mean, it can be done in certain parts of the Midwest, but it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. A lot harder, and you have to look a lot harder for the right setups. Yeah, it, and Scotland was set up. Perfectly. So I got to learn much more about falcons and more traditional falconry. And I brought home some of those skills, which I'm grateful for. Um, because, you know, I don't want to, I'm still young. I don't want to be stuck in, I've learned it this way. So it's only this way. Sure. Um, I'm, I, I think, you know, I've learned some fantastic techniques from Joe and I've learned some fantastic techniques from other falconers that even I go over to Joe and I said, Hey, Joe, you should start using English swivels. He thinks I'm crazy, but I love the English swivel. So, I mean, it just, just little, little nuances like that. Um, well, I mean, you, you never, I mean, anybody that says that they don't want to learn anything new or, you know, they don't feel the need to learn anything new. I mean, I always kind of am leery of those type of people. Cause I mean, especially this is another, another thing that you can get into and you just never stop learning. No, you so. never stop learning. Like, Wanting to fly a Cooper's Hawk. Yeah. Eventually, I want to fly a Farouge. You can judge me all you want. I uh, do want to fly a Farouge. I'm not judging anything. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. The Falconers on this podcast can judge me. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, it's, yeah, it is what it is. People are going to judge if they want. I mean, it, everybody's got their own opinions. That's nothing. That's like we discussed earlier. There's one thing that you'll never run short of in Falconry is opinions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and theories. <laughs> theories, opinions, and politics. Yeah. But on that note, I mean, believe it or not, we're already in an hour. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, I told you that it wouldn't be as, as uh, disinteresting as what you, you might have thought. You, I mean, everybody uh, has something to contribute. So I appreciate you, um, you know, taking the time today and sitting around for an hour just – gabbing about stuff <laughs> i can always talk about birds yeah. that's one thing i can always talk about and i'm less scared of the microphone now well that's good that's i don't good. like it in front of my face but i'm less scared of it <laughs> well this has been fun it really has and thanks for uh let me tag along this morning too and get let me get just a little bit of a fix it's been a it's been tough you know like i said being away from my other falconry f- friends and you know my family and stuff and any little thing i can do to get out of the uh 
the ba- the basement Airbnb I'm staying at right now is is always good. So thank you, I appreciate it. By so. all means. All right. Well, we will. Uh, I'm sure we'll hang again maybe one more time at least before I leave. I only got four weeks left up here, so we'll see. But um, at any rate, you know, good luck on getting the coop if I don't, and um, we'll talk again soon. All so. right. Thank you. All right. Thanks.